It's curtain time for another Waxing Lyrically. This is your announcer, Kurt Schneider, inviting you to find your seat, silence your cell phone, and join us on this journey into the actor's mind. From the Waxing Lyrically Studios, located inside the beautiful Brownwood Lyric Theater, please welcome your host for today, Paul Underwood. Day and welcome to yet another episode of Waxing Lyrically. This is your host, Paul Underwood, coming to you from the Waxing Lyrically Studios. Isn't that cool? We've got our own studio. I think it's awesome. That voice you hear on the other end is the one, the only, Nicholas Ewan. Well, actually, there are some other Nicholas Ewans. You know, I figured that out. Not because, around here. Yeah, I found out. I, I was doing a Facebook search or whatever. There are a few. Or I should say, as my last guest, Elisa, called you Nick Ewing. Yeah, I've gotten that before. Yeah. So Ewing, that's that's not that's not correct. But you know, I I don't jump on people for saying that. So you don't correct them quickly. No, especially in Texas. So I'm not from Texas, but I came here from Wyoming, okay. and uh, I never. It's an age thing and a geography thing. Never watched the television show Dallas. Aha. Uh-huh. So when I first came to Texas, people were always asking me, so who killed JR? <laughs> and you were going, uh... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I have no idea. And I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> but I had nothing to do with that. Oh, that's <laughs> So the Ewing family from Dallas took me a while to put all the pieces together. But yeah. You said you moved here from Wyoming because sure. I saw on your, on your, you had some weird high school name that you went to, Gray... Grable. Grable. Yeah. Yeah, Grable High School. So Grable. that was in Wyoming? Grable, Wyoming, yeah. Uh, graduated from GHS 1998. Okay. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about your family, only because I was really stunned and amazed whenever I had Dr. Nancy Jo Humfeld on, uh-huh. and she mentioned all these Ewans that she yes. knows and how they all somehow found their way to Howard Payne. Yeah. How? Um, okay, so... When you're from Wyoming and you come to Texas, people in Texas say, how in the world did you wind up in Texas, in Brownwood, Texas? But if when you're in Wyoming and you tell people from Wyoming that you're going to Texas, nobody asks any questions. Mm-hmm. Actually, like the majority of the people in Wyoming are from Texas. Really. really? I mean, most everybody in Wyoming is either from there, has family from Texas. Yeah. So much Texas is in Wyoming. So my mother was a natural Texan. Her father, so my grandfather, was a, a train master and moved all over. So my mother moved 11 times before graduating high school, but she wound up in Grable, Wyoming mm-hmm. for her senior year, where she met my father, Dave Ewan. I've got family in Texas, mostly from the Wichita Falls area, Childress, Wichita Falls, mm-hmm. uh, Burke Burnett, okay. that area. Yeah, That's my mother's family. All my dad's family is the Wyoming clan. But Howard Payne University, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, used to send mission teams to Wyoming to do youth camps, like centrifuge camps and that sort of thing, uh, mission projects. Um, And so there was a strong Howard Payne presence in Wyoming Baptist churches. The pastor of my church, Antelope Valley Baptist Church, was actually a classmate with Dr. Newberry, uh, Seth Johnston. That's a weird connection. Right, right. But it's weird... When you're when you're from Texas, when you're from Wyoming, it's not that weird because everybody's from Texas. You know, everybody's got somebody from Texas. <laughs> Either that, or they're like a Hollywood star. Because isn't that right. like the state where all the stars go? And I think <laughs> like Kanye mm, has a huge something ranch like that. There. Harrison Ford. You know, all these people, all these famous celebrities are like, oh gosh, we want to escape the materialism of L.A. and get out to nature. So we're gonna buy a 
billion acre ranch in Wyoming and <laughs> isolate ourselves. Yeah, that's that's part of Wyoming. Not necessarily where I'm from. Yeah. I'm from like the the cheap end of okay. Wyoming. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's beautiful country, of course. And, you know, there are movie stars. I've never met any of them up there. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. there was there was one summer where, uh, you know, uh, some little kid got lost around Yellowstone. Mm. They had the whole search and rescue. And this is very common occurrence in Wyoming. People are always getting lost in Wyoming because there's not a lot out there. <laughs> and visitors arrive say, I'm going off trail, uh, and then never reappear. But this little boy was rescued by Harrison Ford, just oh landed in a helicopter <laughs> and picked him up. I can't imagine. Just here's Indiana Jones to pick you up in his helicopter. But. Well, it's not much better here. You know, Brown, or not Brownwood, but, you know, San Saba has their resident yes. huge star. Yeah, and Tommy Lee, right? Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, and, and from what I've there. been told, you don't want to go up to Tommy Lee Jones and try to strike up a conversation. <laughs> I, I actually had a little connection there. Back when I was just finishing college, I worked for the sign shop, and and, and I made vehicle decals for his ranch, TL decals. Oh, okay. and yeah. It was a stressful situation. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are here with Nick Ewan, and we, we're getting way off topic yeah, here, aren't we? there's so um, many topics. We're, we're kind of loosely going through your bio, your current position at Howard Payton University. Yes, I'm the uh, associate professor of theater. I'm the chair of the department of theater. I am the head, the elbows, knees, shoulders, toes of the theater department. I'm, I'm kind of the one-man show over there. Yeah. Uh, with my students, of course. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, my awesome students there. So I love it. This is my 14th year teaching at Howard Payne. So I started there in 2007, uh, getting back to my alma mater. I graduated from Howard Payne in 2002 okay. and then grad school, University of Texas, Pan Am, now RGV, and finished my master's degree there 2006. Uh, no, sorry, 2003. And, okay. Wait, where? What year? No, 2005. <laughs> Gosh. Years. And then I went to Texas Tech, so went to Lubbock for Texas Tech for my doctorate there. Okay. I was always working, uh, so I never I never went to a single sporting event while I was at Texas Tech. <laughs> um, I was not even in a play while I was there because I was so busy. Wow. I, I was a dramaturg. I was a, I did some design work. I worked I worked in the costume shop. I did a lot of work around the theater department. Yeah. Uh, but I never got any roles or anything. I wasn't on stage for any shows. Um, I worked, like I said, for Designs and Thread there. I worked for the Civic Center, so I was doing a lot of backstage and technical work, <clears throat> rigging work for the Civic Center for those touring Broadway shows. So yeah, I got to work yeah. backstage on Mamma Mia, on Peter Pan, on a, a whole slew of different country artists, country western and rock stars that would come through. So I, I was every weekend I was doing some show, uh, either up in the rigging, high rigging, you know, wearing a harness and hanging sound points or all that kind of stuff, which was fun. So. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, rock star shows. Any, give me your your top, like, brushes. We talked about it a little bit with the Tommy Lee Jones okay. deal. But give me your top little brush that you had there, maybe. So this is, I, I don't know how many people are going to get this. So when I was in college, one of the biggest hits uh, that was, like, going around was Stomp. You yeah. remember Stomp? Oh, yeah. I don't know if they're still out there, but Stomp, they had a, we had this VHS that was making the rounds around the dorms, mm-hmm. and I was Jennings guy, so, you know, like watching this Stomp, and it was just so awesome because it's performance art, but it's music, so it's almost like a mixture of like drumline, and it's just and really like cool. beat on trash cans oh, yeah. and stuff. So you remember the trash can one? Oh, yeah. They had all these different like scenarios uh-huh. of setting up these just bashing on stuff to make these awesome, just sick beats. Um, And the trash can one, do you remember? There's a moment about like three quarters of the way through where this like five foot tall African-American woman comes out with this huge 50 gallon plastic drum. just wailing on it with a sledgehammer (laughs) and i love that part that was like my favorite part so i was working backstage stomp i was running lines so i was running the the uh counterweight system up and down stuff yeah yeah i was standing back there just watching the show i'm loving it and i look and standing right next to me is this woman from like 
that I had seen like you four been... years ago yeah. on a VHS tape. And she's got the trash can. <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's right next to me. I was like, oh, my gosh. She looks at me. She's like, watch this. And she she literally says this. And then she walks on stage and just starts to do, 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 do. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That was her. That was that. So that was cool. I'm going to have to find the audio of that, and we'll intersperse that. <laughs> Stop, in yes. That's, uh, yeah. Oh, Charlie Daniels told me to shut the light off of his face. I was doing follow spot for Charlie Daniels, and, <laughs> and, and you know, I'm just like, oh, I'm loving this because I have the perfect. I done told you once. You, you tur- get, that <laughs> yes, spotlight get that spotlight off. off my face. He literally was like, shut that thing off. I want to see my fans. So I shut it off and just enjoyed the rest of the show. So I got yelled at by Charlie Daniels. There you go. There's... I don't think he knows my name. Maybe he does now. See, yeah. most people would have led with the Charlie Daniels. Charlie Daniels one? But but not Nick. He I leads, forgot about that one. He leads with the Stomp. five foot two yeah. black yeah. woman with the sledgehammer and the trash can. See, that was awesome. That was a bigger yeah. moment for you yeah. than Charlie Daniels. I, and I never introduced myself. Dead gummit. No, I know. Just like, hey, I'm Nick. And then she walked away. No, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> There's I nothing like to too. say. Watch this. <laughs> Watch this. Yeah. Um. I talked to your wife yesterday. Oh, okay. She didn't tell you, did she? Well, I didn't talk to her yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. Our days are so long. I did see her. I going wanted to bed, but... some inside information. Okay. And I told her not to talk to you, but I thought maybe she, she did not. Okay, she well, kept good. that secret. All right. I, I I wanted to know what little thing that maybe people don't know that you're maybe like an authority on. Hmm. And she came up with X-Wing. <laughs> All right. Nick. Okay. I'll just let you describe it. Give me the gameplay in 30 seconds or less. Go. Okay. Star Wars miniatures, tabletop strategy. Uh-huh. So I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's a huge secret. I share that fairly openly. I love Star Wars. I always have. And I love strategy games. So it's basically like chess. Yes. So imagine chess, and all the pieces move and attack in different ways. And it's played on a three foot by three foot square. So there's I no spaces. Yeah. Yeah, but there's yeah, it's like a blank. Yeah. You can play on a floor. Yeah. A table. Yeah, sure. Top. And and uh, so you, you know if you're if you're a Star Wars fan, X wings, Tie fighters, Y wings, A wings, B wings, you know all the different ships, Millennium Falcon. Now, all do you play as ships. Rebel or Imperial? I actually am a scum and villainy player. Scum you've, lost, you've lost me now. Okay, so there's several <laughs> factions in X-Wing. So you can play as Rebel Alliance. You can play as the Imperial, you know, the evil empire. Yeah. You can play as Scum and Villainy, which is all of the, like, kind of background bad guys. Yeah. Or not necessarily bad guys. Some some of them are good. Like Lando Calrissian, Han Solo, right? He's kind of a – there's a Scum and Villainy version of Han in the game. Uh, Boba Fett, you know, yeah. all these kind of side characters for those – Fans of Star Wars Rebels and and uh, you know some of the ca- kind of outside shows. Uh, there's all sorts of characters you can play as. So now she says no. He like thinks about this a lot. She's worried about you, Nick. And mm-hmm. you know she yes. said really the only thing that keeps you humble is your brother Matt beats you all the time in it. Oh wow. Well, Matt. If Matt listens to this, he's gonna say what? No. <laughs> Maybe he did. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's a good player. Matt and I used to play a lot. So he lived here in Brownwood. He was the assistant director at Heart of Texas Camp for a long time. Yeah. And if he is listening, I still haven't forgiven him for moving to Kerrville. But, you know, I'm working on that. But we used to play a lot more. So I, I don't get to play X-Wing that much. I've got a few people around town, you know, that, that I play with. But they're not at my level. I would say that, yeah. So. If you're interested in uh, <laughs> X-Wing, I found a, a YouTube. This guy does a great job of trying to... To describe the gameplay in like five minutes. You watch on... some of my YouTube games? Well, no, I didn't. Are you on YouTube? Oh, I, I. No, this was some... this was just a, a, a random guy oh. trying to explain it. So I was sure. watching it and trying to come up with uh, yeah. interesting uh, questions that I could ask you. Like, I, uh, I do have a YouTube. Uh, just a few games that I it's called Fly Casual with Nick. So you know, on my YouTube channel, uh, Nick, how many damage cards can a ship handle? Well, all ships have different amount of damage cards. Oh, okay. So an X-wing, I'll just say the base ship of the game, the title ship, the X-wing, can handle. Mm, in version one, it was three, but in version two, I think it's four. Okay. I might be because I'm not a I'm not a Rebel Alliance player. Oh, I see. But I think it's four. Stress tokens, good or bad? 
Uh, they can be good depending on your pilot ability. Some pilots have special stress abilities. So let's say Ten Nun, right? He's a B-wing pilot yeah. from Return of the Jedi. Uh, he does really well with stress. You can use stress to turn focus dies into hits or, you know, whatever. <laughs> so he's good. But for the most part, bad. Describe a Koegrin turn. A Koegrin turn is basically a straight line maneuver, but at the end of the maneuver, your f- ship is facing 180 degrees. So you were facing straight ahead. At the end of the maneuver, you're facing straight straight back. Okay. Yeah. Con- contrast that with U-turn. It is a U-turn. <laughs> yeah. Except that, you know, it's just... You're moving in a straight line, so. So do you use that, though, when you're, uh, when you're, honey, just make a Corgan turn here. It's, it's back behind us. I, I try not to say that stuff out loud, but yes. <laughs> you do think it, though, don't you? <laughs> there's Segnor's loop. There's the Talon roll. Grand turn. There's a lot of different turnarounds, but yeah. Okay. We I have, can't believe this is the direction this conversation went. We have no audience left by now, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm going to try to edit that into a concise little uh, I'm also, for those of you out there that are interested, I'm also an Armada player, so I play Star Wars Armada too, so she didn't mention that one, but she's, yeah. I also ask her other stuff too. Okay. Nick Ewan is happiest when? When are you happiest? I'll let you answer, then I'll kind of tell you what your wife said. Gosh, okay. I'm happiest when I'm active yeah. on on a project that allows me to be creative and work with people that I love working with. Yeah. Like thing I'm looking forward I look forward so much to if it's a youth camp or leading worship at a children's camp, I love that stuff because I'm working with a band and we get along so well. We're all close friends and we're working on something we believe in. It's creative. Working on a play with people that I love being around and getting to creatively build this whole thing from the ground up. I just I I happiest when I'm active with people I like being I like doing stuff with. And you know that's what your wife said. Uh, basically, wow. she just said that Nick loves to serve. So whether that's with yeah, your church, okay. playing or singing, um, I can't believe you find time for the Lyric Theater as busy as you are at, at Howard Payne, too. Yeah, well, so, I mean, basically the same thing. You yeah. Just, you love to serve. Yeah. I, I'm, I'll, I'll put it co- in contrasting terms. I'm least happy when I'm inactive. I don't do well with downtime. Clarissa probably could tell you this, too, that, <laughs> you know, pandemic Nick is uh, just... I just get frustrated. I I don't know. I'm just like eh, irritable. Yeah. If I'm stuck at home for too long, mm. and there's plenty of stuff I can do and serve at home, of course. But it's like I just I just have this like need to get out to be around people. You know. I guess I don't know to to get in to get out there and build something or tear something down or right. I don't know. If you were not a college theater professor, what would you be? Hmm. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Okay. That was my thing. I was going to be a helicopter pilot. And so, you know, that didn't that didn't work out. But <laughs> Why didn't that work out? Um, so I graduated from Howard Payne, and I didn't know what to do exactly. I was a theater major, mm-hmm. um, and I had always thought I was going to change my major, but I never did. Yeah. Just because I was like, well, I like the work. I'm, I'm fairly good at it. I'm not you know, outstanding in any particular way, but you know, I made it, I got my degree. So I, it's not the major that you just go and pick up a newspaper and say, Oh, let's see, let me see theater. Oh yes. And wanted theater major, wanted theater <laughs> yes, major. Exactly. I mean, it is a valuable major mm, because yeah. of so many things, so many life skills and so many, you. you know, creative problem solving, uh, collaboration, yeah. you know, all these great communication, all but these great skills. But as far as just having something laid out for you sure. just to go straight into out of college. Yeah. So I went and spoke with a recruiter, uh, Army National Guard, Mm -hmm. and so I was really considering doing that. And so talking with him about, like, this is my dream. I want to be a helicopter pilot. And you can get private training, you know, helicopter school, like pilot school and stuff. It's like, well, why don't you start with fixed wing or something like that? I was like, no, I'm not interested. I need that whirly bird. My uncle was uh, a Vietnam helicopter pilot and and a helicopter pilot and actually as a kid he gave me his instruction manuals so theoretically like in terms of the book like i learned how to fly a helicopter i've had many dreams of flying helicopters um some of them really awesome some of them very scary but Mm -hmm. the thing that didn't work out was my eyesight so the recruiter said look we can get right up to the point of guaranteeing you a spot in flight school but we can't guarantee that 
So it was like, hmm, I don't know, just like what other doors come open? And then this UT Pan Am door kind of opening up with Dr. Monta, you know, kind of being invited to come and join their program. So that's the direction I went. And not necessarily a regret, just something like, hmm, yeah, flying them helicopters, that would be awesome. Yeah. I ask her that question. If you weren't a college professor, what would you be? I I asked your wife that. Well, she didn't really answer it, but she just kind of went in and she goes just – he could be like anything. He is so smart. Have you heard about his doctoral that he did <laughs> on the uh, the old Brown County Jail? Uh, and so she was just kind of amazed at that. Do you want to talk a little bit about what? Uh, uh, yeah, I love the Brown County Museum of History. Uh, so I, I've served when I can on the board of directors for the Brown County Museum of History. And so how that came together is really, <laughs> and so much of my life has been more about the right pieces falling into place. You know, the Lord being like, here you go. Yeah. I'm, I'm making a way for you. And being able to see that is a huge blessing, first of all, because I don't think I'm that smart. There's so many things that I'm very stupid with. And Clarissa knows this, too. Let's talk about so, those, Nick. What yeah. are your shortcomings? But back to my dissertation. <laughs> no. uh, so when I first started at Howard Payne, 2008, Steve Blake who is one of my very good friends, member of First Baptist Church Brownwood, mm-hmm. uh, while I was there before I, before I ditched FBC, so sorry, and went out to May. God called me out to May, <laughs> which I love. And uh, anyway, Steve was on the board of directors for the Brown County Museum of History, and he kind of had a couple of ideas of things they could do. They wanted like a video walkthrough of the upper floors of the old jail. And uh, so that was the first time. So I got to go to the old jail and walk through. And I'm just like, this place is awesome. It's so cool. Um, What a neat piece of history, Uh, an actual artifact, a building that you can walk through. And it's it's old and it's just really cool and creepy too. Um, And I was like, I floated this idea to him just to see what he thought. Maybe instead of doing a video walkthrough, let's do some reenactments. What if we do some live reenactments? I got my hands on as much material as I could. So... A lot of the Brown County history, history of Brownwood and Brown County, and such fascinating history. For people that are from Brownwood, if you don't know that much about Brown County history, as an outsider, I'm telling you, it's a, such an interesting place. Yeah. <laughs> and so learned a lot about that. So I created this uh, kind of live reenactment called I Serve Time at the Brown County Jail. Visitors would come and get, quote unquote, booked. You know, and you'd go upstairs. Sheriff Moses Denman, who was an actual sheriff, late 1800s, would take you upstairs and put you in a cell, and you'd sit there and have conversations with prisoners that are based on people who served in in the Brown County Jail. And the eight, I said it from like 1880s to 1905 or so, uh, and I kind of built their characters, extrapolated a whole character based on this thing that landed them in the air and this little story, this little tidbit, you know, and we had so much fun doing that. That is cool. So when I started it, that was not my dissertation. Yeah. Uh, I was on hiatus of my dissertation because just life hadn't worked out. My previous dissertation kind of fell through. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be able to happen. So I was kind of lost on that. Even discouraged, I would say, just like, I don't know what I'm going to do for my dissertation. So instead, I'll just get to work where I am, mm-hmm. do projects that I enjoy. So I was at a conference after this was kind of going on and talking to one of my advisors from Texas Tech, the amazing Dr. Bill Gilber. Mm-hmm. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, listen to this project. And he's like, Nick, this is a dissertation. Just write it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, are you serious? It's like, yeah, this is a professional problem dissertation. Just put all the materials that you have together because I, we had raised money for it. Right. We had gotten funds through the Arts Council and different grants and working with the Museum of History and then creating the script for it, hiring actors. We actually paid actors to do this reenactment for two months. Right? Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty, pretty big all-in thing that I didn't really realize this is a dissertation. So that's that was my dissertation. The written f- form of it has, you know, the first chapter is like, what even is historical reenactment? What are we talking about? What does it do? Is it a tool for teaching history or is it just entertainment? You know, what is it? Second chapter is kind of like, what is Brownwood? So I have a whole chapter that's just like, kind of like, this is what Brownwood is and this is what law enforcement, like, what is this museum? Because mm-hmm. its physical structure is unique the history of the building is unique. Like, what is it? What is it doing here? What does it mean to the community? And then the rest of the thing is 
the the historical reenactments, the non-historical reenactments. We do the zombie lockdown and haunted jail there. Zombie nerf shootouts. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a great turnout. It's so much fun, and it raises a lot of money for the museum. It's a great fundraiser for them and for our Alpha Psi Omega. And, you know, it's just an awesome fun event in October that we do. So, yeah, all of that is that was that became my dissertation. So, yeah. Nick Ewan is our guest. Seven years married to his wife, Clarissa. Mm -hmm. Three kids. Yeah. You've got Bethany, Christopher, and Emma. And Emma. Yeah. 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 And uh, let's see. Christopher has... Emma's the only one who's been on stage in a lyric show. She was in one of my children's shows. Okay. Yeah. And maybe maybe we'll see some and more. Christopher loves doing theater. They all do, really. Bethany Bethany loves doing shows when she can. But Christopher, he's got some he's got some talent. I don't know if he's going to listen to this. So he'll be like, "Oh, I can't believe he's talking about me." But he's very talented. He's yeah. really good, uh, and Emma is too. So I don't know. But let's bring it back to the lyrics. Sure. Now. Let's talk about some of the lyric things you've done. I know that we saw a great the, the show that you ultimately took to the Fringe Festival. We saw, yeah. which was fantastic. Do you want to start with maybe some of the original works that we've seen on the lyric stage? Yeah, um, I have been involved with the lyric for God, yeah every year. So fourteen years, I direct the lyrics children's show. Yeah, and and I have to emphasize this is not the children's theater camp. That is not my that's not my bag. <laughs> Don't put that on me. Those those angels who do that children's theater camp deserve so much more credit than me. I do the children's show where the lyric invites school children to come and see it. So I'm not working with children. Okay. We're doing a play for children. So I'm working usually with my college students or just people from around the community. Sometimes I'll have children's roles that will cast children, but for the most part these are children coming to watch our shows. Gotcha. My first one was so great. It was uh, Nine Dragons, uh, and I had so much fun doing that show. That was before the Lyric was in, in her home here uh, at the Lyric Theater. So we performed that at Howard Payne, and hardly anybody came to see it, but it was a really cool show. Mm. Uh, after Nine Dragons, I realized what I need to do is do children's plays that people will recognize, either recognize the name or they're tied into some kind of classic children's literature. Okay. So ever since Nine Dragons, which was a great show, but nobody really knew about it. Yeah. I did Robin Hood, Treasure Island, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, a story from the Jungle Book called Big Colin, Little Tumia, uh, Two Bad Mice, you know, Beatrix Potter's Two <laughs> Bad Mice, Johnny and the Bear, Johnny Appleseed play, um, Snow White, uh, so many plays the first one that I wrote that script for was Snow White, and yeah. I really wanted to do a Snow White show, but I just couldn't find a script. I just have felt disappointed, I guess, in children's theater literature. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I can write a better play than this. <laughs> I took playwriting in grad school. I can do this. So I, I wrote Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was so much fun. We loved it. Just a delightful cast. Uh, I found that I do the just directing the, the children's show is it just goes better when I write the script. And that's not, I'm not like, oh, I'm, I'm just better. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I can write the script for what we have. Yeah. I literally know what's in our scene storage, costume storage, what's in our prop storage. I know if I'm going to have to spend money on a sword or a cape or a set piece, you know, it's yeah. like, so I can write it to fit our space. Yeah. You know, I started off just kind of suiting what we had, and then I've moved into kind of dreaming big. You know, my my biggest dream was Big Colin, Little Tumia. Yeah. And building that life-size elephant puppet for our stage was so much fun. It was a huge challenge. It was incredibly stressful. I did not know <laughs> what I was doing. It was an engineering project. It was a scene design project. It was just incredible. Casher uh, Rose uh, was instrumental in making that thing come together, and Shannon, uh, and just several of my students who came along. It was like, okay, you need to figure out how to make a functional trunk. <laughs> That's your job. Okay, I don't know how to do this. Neither do I. Just figure it out. <laughs> like, uh, okay, how much money do I have? You have no money. You, you have you have access to this pile of trash. <laughs> Basically, what we're doing. And I mean, Cashy came up with such wild things. Like, I don't. The, the cast of the show will remember this, but the elephant smells like cinnamon hmm. because she made the paper mache that became the skin 
using cinnamon because the glue winds up smelling bad. So yeah. our elephant, Big Kala, he's, he has a nice cinnamony smell to him. He's very, very large. I mean, it's nine and a half foot tall at the shoulder. Oh, my. And Kasher rode on this thing. I mean, and Sarah Heinrichs, too. Like, they had to get up on top of that and ride it. Um, so it was amazing. It took four puppeteers to control the whole thing with ropes and pulleys. And Jake Bowren was the end of the trunk, so he was kind of the face of Kala. Uh, and, I mean, Jake did an awesome job as Kala's, like, persona. I feel like know. I'm missing out because I don't think I've seen any of these shows. Oh, well, yeah. Well, we, I mean, we invite the, the schools to come and see them. So yeah. they're, they're during the day. We would do three shows a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And as many as, like three or four hundred kids at a time yeah. in here just packed audience i'm telling you the curtain comes up on this elephant and the kid just this gasp of like oh it makes it all oh. like it you know and the kids in the front row literally kind of terrified <laughs> at this <laughs> elephant it's huge these huge tusks and this trunk is just right. like it's massive so do we have another one in the works i mean i know this you know been... i actually don't know what i'm doing this fall usually i do usually i'm like i know what i'm doing this fall last year we didn't have a main children's show on stage so we actually built a shadow puppet theater that we wound up i have it i made it and it's really cool uh but only a few people have gotten to see that i shared it with cross classical academy i shared it with some homeschool groups uh, in town and stuff and so we did create a shadow puppet theater it's pretty cool uh but oh man one of my favorites uh the elves and the bootmaker so kind of a a take off of the elves in the shoe the elves and the shoemaker yeah so we did like a, a texas version we did the elves and the bootmaker and that was a blast uh so much fun doing those children's shows you write them you, you yeah write these yeah. yeah so i write the scripts and i i have them all so i've sent them off so some of them have been performed elsewhere yeah. you know out in the world uh wow. just, just doing them out there they don't necessarily always work that well uh because i write them specifically for this stage with our with our little side stages, yes. with the room that we have, so sometimes like that doesn't really translate well to other theaters. Right. And what they do here with that children's show is kind of rare, because when you talk about children's theater, most people are thinking children performing, right? Right. So when I send off my children's show scripts, I'm sending them to somebody who they need to cast like 28 or 30 kids. And my shows have like 10 actors. Yeah. Because I'm working with adult or young adult actors performing for kids, not kids performing for kids. Right. And so it's a different kind. It's a special niche, I guess, for scripts. Well, let's talk about maybe something that you don't take as much joy out of is when you're on stage or do you? Oh, I do. It depends on the role. Uh, yeah. But I, but I do, yes. Right, give me, give me some of your top roles you've played on the lyric stage. Oh gosh, probably my favorite was Howard in Moon Over Buffalo. That yeah. poor, poor man. <laughs> give me a little uh, bit of Howard. Oh, uh, he, uh, 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 yes, uh, Howard. He's uh, very, very polite. Um, he's really, 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 really nervous <laughs> because he is starstruck oh. by these amazing actors that he's been watching and anyway howard he's just so nervous yeah and he's a weatherman (laughs) and uh anyway he's just such a goofy character to play i love playing these side character roles i'm not a leading man person yeah you know i just don't have the look and it's just not my not my niche right I really prefer these kind of side character roles where I get to be a supporting actor, sometimes even just a walk-on. So much fun to do. I love doing Peachy Wild, you know. Peachy Wild, you know, he's he's a kind of a greasy southern gentleman. Now, and, what was uh, that in? That's Peachy. in Last Night of Ballyhoo. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just had so much fun with the cast. You know, the cast of, La- of Last Night of Ballyhoo, the cast of Moon Over Buffalo was such a blast. Peachy Wild doesn't exist until act two they're always talking about him and then he appears in act two so with my busy busy schedule allows me to be able to do that yeah um probably one of my dream roles definitely was pharaoh in joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat when i saw so i was in college i saw the donny osmond version you know and and that scene the pharaoh scene i knew i was like that is the kind of role 
that I could that I could do. Yeah. <laughs> and so I always wanted to do it. So Dr. Unfeld told me that she was doing Joseph. Um, this is something else that people might not know about me. I actually do Elvis impersonations. <laughs> Now, I did because I, I think I saw Elvis hosting Match Game or something at one point. Oh, that wasn't, that wasn't Elvis. That was an alter ego named Hugh Gigo. Oh, okay. Game show host. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. was with my work out at Heart of Texas, their Christmas fundraiser, their okay. annual yeah, yeah. fundraiser dinner. Yeah, but, but... Yeah, I was a game show host. Yeah, but Hugh Gigo kind of had that yeah. Elvis look. Oh, though, yeah, yeah. You know. Except with a ridiculous handlebar mustache. Okay, all right. And he didn't have the Elvis voice or anything. I didn't sing anything. Yeah. Uh, but there's very few performance gigs that have so much payoff as being Elvis. Yeah. You can do Elvis badly, and they will love you. You know, if you, as long as you're confident, as long as you sell it. Now, is there a show yeah. out there that you would do as Elvis? That's the one, the Joseph and the Amazing Technical okay. Dreamcoat. So I had done an Elvis gig at my church at Mayfair's Baptist, mm-hmm. and that was voluntary, by the way. Nobody made me do that. <laughs> uh, it was for a Valentine's banquet, yeah. and I had a blast uh, doing Elvis. Uh, and Dr. Humphrey was there uh-huh. for that. Uh, had invited her to come out and enjoy the Valentine's banquet at May First Baptist and see Elvis. I had the uh, the American Eagle Elvis costume, so that white Ooh, jumpsuit yeah. with the you know just spangled with jewels and stuff. <laughs> and anyway, so a couple of months later, she says, "Oh, hey, we're doing Joseph. If you want to come and audition." I was like, "I can't make it to auditions, but I want to be Pharaoh." Yeah. And she's like, oh, my gosh, would you? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, that is one of my dream roles. So getting to do Pharaoh for Joseph was so much fun. And it's the easiest part in the play. Everybody, that huge cast, so much work they put in. And I would just show up and do my one song and leave. And I felt a little bit bad. It was kind of like, like Jennifer Reeves' role in Clue. You know, she just had the... <laughs> yes, just the, the singing telegram just appear and kind of just for that little bit steal the show. Uh-huh. And she did. Again, she stole it every night. The, the, the payoff for a role like that was so huge. Getting yeah. out, you know, coming out and meeting people. And I remember one of the performances, there was a group uh, from the retirement community and they had come on their little shuttle bus. Yes. And then, so after the show, they couldn't stay and greet everybody, but they were putting them back on the bus, uh-huh. loading their wheelchairs and stuff. And Eric came back and was like, can you go on that bus and just say hi? I was like, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and walking onto that bus was like, one of the biggest moments of glory. It was so, uh, they were so excited to see uh, Elvis or Pharaoh, you know, yeah. that character. And I just love getting to do that. So it's a lot of fun to do the Elvis thing. Uh, so That's that was great. one of my favorite roles. Um, my first role was just a walk-on role in Barefoot in the Park. Yeah. I was the delivery guy. I had no lines. Actually, I had, I, I only had breathing. Just this. <laughs> After I walked up all these stairs <laughs> and had him sign this thing, that was all I did. All right, we're 45 minutes oh, in, man. Nick, I'm and so we sorry. have yet to even talk <laughs> about rumors. Oh, yeah, rumors. Let's talk about okay. rumors, rumors, because I think maybe you even performed this at Howard Payne. I did. So this is my first role in my life that I'm doing for the second time. Wow. So 2002, spring of 2002, the the spring, the spring semester I graduated, we did rumors at Howard Payne. And so it was my last go on the Howard Payne stage as a student. Dr. Humfeld directed it. I was Ken. One of the things I remember about it was, you know, I was 21 years mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. And I was playing a man in his 40s. And so I remember just having to do my makeup and be like, I got to look old. <laughs> and now I'm like, I am the age of Ken. I'm playing Ken again. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, there's so many things about Ken that I get yeah. that I remember not getting when I was a student. <laughs> so it's nice to get to come back and reprise a role after 20 years. Yeah, it is. It's 20 years this spring. Wow. Gosh. Wow. Who in the show is most like their character? Hmm. Most like their character. K. 
gosh, if I say anybody, it would be insulting. This is this is not a <laughs> none is, of these people are people you want to be like. It's another one. It's another like Seinfeld deal because yeah, none of them are likable. Yeah. Really, they're all what they're all they're all farce. You know, yeah. they're not they're not actually <laughs> real people. Um, gosh, okay, actually like themselves. Who is the least? Well, well, maybe that's easier. Who is the least like their character? The least like their character. No, that's hard too. I don't. I guess I'd have to say because she's probably the most over the top. Yeah. Is Elisa's role? Uh huh. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's got to be. It's got to be out of character. It makes it fun. Though, because she's having so much fun with it, yeah. because she makes people feel really awkward when she goes <laughs> off, and when she turns it on, I guess, not to give away like plot points, but when she turns it on, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so awkward and so funny. I would say that's definitely not like Elisa. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, just totally inappropriate. Maybe I don't know. I think there. What's what's nice about these farcical characters is that they're not so over the top. Like for me with Ken, mm-hmm. um, I actually usually have an easier time getting into a character who's not like me, like Peachy. Peachy Wild, like he's real despicable. I hate Peachy. <laughs> you know, he's someone that you love to hate. Yeah. He's he's a bigot. He's pompous and arrogant. And, you know, I just don't like Peachy, and it's fun to be him. I'm not like Howard either. Yeah. Just that super nervous, kind of neurotic weirdo. Yeah. Uh, Dorkwad. <laughs> just, and I am in some ways, at, you know, earlier our earlier conversation about X-Wing. But <laughs> um, it's almost easier. With Ken, I'm a lot like Ken, you know? Yeah. Uh, just in that... I'm weird, but not that weird. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know. The weirdest thing, the weirdest part about Ken is just that he goes deaf for a significant portion of the show, and and then he switches to super hearing. So that's a fun <laughs> switch to make. But other than that, he's trying to like hold the pieces together. He's trying to like keep it all together. And also, as much as I love working with these people, and some of them I worked with a lot, I don't know that I know anybody well enough to make that statement of who is most like or unlike their character so i don't have the poster in here for this show oh yeah now you are playing opposite you you and tommy tommy bailey yes Mm -hmm. and so this is my first time to work with tommy and and she's awesome so she's new they're new to brownwood right and they're from fredericksburg yeah a little over a year now i think sure yeah yeah Yeah. and they've done a lot of work with the fredericksburg theater Mm -hmm. um and I actually knew of them before I actually met them through Carrie Goff, who's the head of the theater program at McMurray. Okay. And, uh, you know, just, just like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, it's great that they're here. So Tommy Tommy and I are a couple in the show, married couple, and we kind of start the show. So Tommy's – when the show opens, her character, Chris, is the only person on stage, and then my character kind of comes in from the bedroom, and it just spirals out of control right at the top of the show. Yeah. Now you're designing the set as yes, well. Yes, I am designing yeah. and building the yeah. set, um, which hopefully that, that you know that's going to all come together. <laughs> these, these farce shows, Dr. Unfeld always says it's all doors, <laughs> it's all it's all door slams and you know in and out. So we've got to have like five working doors on the set. Yeah, there's supposed to be an upstairs, downstairs, and the lyric is a great stage space, but in terms of size, that can be hard to do. There's not a lot of vertical height, um, so you know just kind of. Fitting everything on the stage is yeah. always a kind of an engineering problem. Right. But we'll figure it out. We're doing good. Going to use the Juliets at all or just everything on the main stage? No, no, not using the Juliets. Thank goodness. Everything um, takes place in that apartment, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's great. You know, it's a single set, um, and and that really helps uh, because you're not having to change the set. If, the, if there was a scene change or anything like that, it would make it so much more difficult. Oh yeah. But yeah. But those those side stages, you know, what a lot of people call Juliet's, don't call them that around Dr. Humfeld, by the way. Do she, not call them Juliet's. Yeah, they're not actually technically Juliet's. Side stages. I don't know the technical definition of a Juliet, but I trust that Dr. Humfeld does. Mm-hmm. And she's anytime you know someone said Juliet, she's like, It's not a Juliet. <laughs> like, okay. I've worked with her long enough to just trust that, so 
I guess the Juliets have a, have a thing that, that they kind of it comes out more. Does or something, it? Maybe is that I the difference? Literally, have no idea. Well, we'll just we'll, we'll, put, we'll put all the uh, ask Doctor Unfeld. She'll know. She'll tell you. She'd be happy to tell you. Uh, I do not know. I just call them side stages. Uh, but yeah, sure. For the, okay, for the character Ken. Yes. Have you ever imagined what celebrity you could see playing that part? playing Ken? Yeah. Gosh, I haven't thought about it, but I will now. Let me think. Um, I don't know. You know, Paul Rudd can do anything. Yeah, like Paul. Like I could see, I could see Paul Rudd in a Neil Simon play. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. He would have that kind of high-strung energy, yet, (laughs) you know, just that. I don't know. the The poster kind of captured the the kind of like dumbstruck doofus of that he can't hear anything like Uh he he loses his hearing (laughs) uh and then later on he suddenly has super hearing so yeah (laughs) just having to play both of those okay without giving anything away nick what is your favorite line of ken's Mm, my favorite line of ken's or maybe just a line from somebody else that just you're you're gonna crack Gets me up every, every time, time you're gonna hear it. Oh my gosh! Well, the play title is called Rumors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a line. It's not even. I wouldn't even call it my favorite line, but it gets me every. It's gonna be so hard to say it with a straight face. Yeah. Ken, at a certain moment, he's got to reveal a certain amount of information to these people, to his friends Lenny and Claire. Okay. And he doesn't want to reveal this information, and he doesn't want them to overreact because we got to keep this all under control. Yeah. Um, and so he reveals a little bit of information, and then they start going off about all these rumors. Lenny thinks this and this and this is going on, and Claire thinks, actually, no, this and this and this is going on. And Lenny's like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, so there's this one line. Ken tells them, this is what's happened. And Claire says, oh, you don't know what's going on? And Lenny says, he, he doesn't know what's going on. And my character, Ken, says, no, what's going on? I don't know why. It's just the timing of that. Yeah. You don't know what's going on? He doesn't know what's going on. No, what's going on? It's like, it's just funny. Um, I like that line. I also like finding a way to deliver almost every line in a way that is funny. Yeah. And you can do it in rehearsal, and you and you know this because you yeah. don't. But you really don't know until you get your first audience, right? And that's kind of the tricky thing about, yeah, you know, being one of the first to oh, see yeah. something. Yeah, is you know we don't get the the uh, the luxury of having previews, you sure, know, or anything sure. like that. So, well, I don't know. There, with this cast, there's a lot of people who've done it enough that they know what's going to make somebody laugh. Levi and Ryan. They've got ways of delivering lines. You can tell this person knows how to crack up an audience in this moment. Just the way the line is delivered uh-huh. is just funny. So many moments in the play have that quality. You're just like, okay, that's good line delivery. The line that mm-hmm. might not be funny, you know, just like Ryan picking up the phone and the way he answers it. Uh-huh. Cracks us up every time. <laughs> like, how do you answer a phone and you have one word? The word is Hello. How do you make somebody laugh with that? Yeah. And he can do it. Well, and, and this <laughs> cast is, is full of uh, actors that have that ability. Yeah. I mean, like Joe in uh, Joe Dennis yes. in Clue, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the part about uh, when we're when everybody's accusing somebody of <laughs> killing and, yes. and they put Joe in the lounge. And yes. I'm just going to, like, be sitting there lounging, you know. And he, uh, I never lounge, you know. And it, and it yeah. brought a laugh because he knew how to, how to uh, yeah. deliver yeah. it there. He's got even some of that, I mean, a little bit of that going on in this play, too. Yeah. There's some overlap between the Colonel, right? He was Colonel <laughs> Mustard, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Glenn in rumors, yeah. so <laughs> and he does that very well. Okay, and and you may have already answered this, and maybe you don't want to answer it. But besides mm. yourself, Nick, which actor in this production is going to blow people away? Hmm, he's already done it, but Levi is outstanding. Yeah, and he's got that big monologue, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the climax of the show. It's the point of the show that everything builds up to, and his delivery. Even right now in rehearsal. I mean, he's just barely off book. Right. And it's hilarious. It's so (laughs) funny. Once he comes in, he's hardly off stage for the whole play. Yeah. He's the most, like, slingshot character. I mean, he's in every room. He's going this way. He's going that way. And then he's got that climactic 
monologue, <laughs> you know, that is daunting. But, I mean, he's handling it <laughs> certainly with a plum. It's going to be really good. Yeah. So Let's talk about some of the females in here. We, we've talked about Tommy, mm-hmm. who is married to Ken. And yes, it, let's Chris. talk a little bit about uh, Laisha and Holly. Oh, yeah. This is my first time to really work with Laisha. Mm-hmm. And she is a pro. Just really good. Solid character. Got her lines down. And both her and Joe are, are just like super reliable they just got it down oh, they yeah. know their lines they've got good delivery uh but yeah uh working with her and uh holly blanton oh my gosh holly's one of my very favorite people mm-hmm. first of all but mm-hmm. in this show she's so much fun and uh her character cookie is just ridiculous it, <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun She's. I mean, by the time she gets through with this play, I don't know how she's not going to be beat up and bruised and sore because Cookie's the most physically funny character, ah. and she's going to do so well. She's. I mean, Holly does this space cadet ditz so well, and that's not her. <laughs> she's. She's obviously not that kind of a person, but yeah. that's who Cookie is. And so some of Holly's lines, the way that she delivers them, is just going to kill people. It's just so funny. That's great. I ask a lot of my guests this that are that have been on the stage. Uh, what's the last thing you do before you step out on stage? Before that curtain goes up? In, do you have any rituals or anything that you? Yeah, I I uh, breathe. Yeah, and stretch. Okay. So I'll be backstage. You know, like I have back issues, and um, I tend to carry tension in my shoulders, so my shoulders are creep up to my ears. So I really try to relax my shoulders. Yeah. And I stretch out my lower back, and then I just breathe deep. And then okay. I'm just running through my lines mentally, uh, and sometimes out loud, you know, because the act of moving your mouth and how you say words and stuff. So that's yeah. mostly what I do. And also encouraging my castmates. I think, you know, that is more important, really. So how than do you do that? Stuff. How would you, what would, what would be an example of? You know, just being like, oh my gosh, you did great in this scene. I love how you did that line. You mm-hmm. did so well. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. You did, yeah. you killed it. You know, yeah. uh, can I get you a bottle of water? Can I, right. uh, you know, are you doing okay? You know, just, but that means also a lot how can I pray to you? Because you know? all of us, I don't, I don't care how accomplished you are. Yeah. We all have those little insecurities. Oh yeah. You know, so anytime a fellow actor can give that is, uh, yeah. You know, I've benefited from that so much. And, you know, with what I do, and I'll tie this in what I do at Howard Payne, I call it the Servant Artist Program. And I'll plug that on here or anywhere that I can. Uh, you know, that's my job. But as far as being talented, as far as being believable and compelling on stage, that's great. But really, what's going to get you into roles? What's going to get you into a career in theater that you enjoy, that you love, that you work with people that you love? You know, all kinds of people go to work every day and hate their job. Yeah. And theater people do too. There yeah. are plenty of actors, designers, stage managers, directors, you know, technicians. who They show up and they actually hate being there because wow. they're unhappy, uh, because they've been discouraged, because they're tired. And so being that person who shows up and says, you're doing so great. You're inspiring me. Can I help you? How can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you need help with? That's what I want my students to walk away with and to be the people that nothing is above them. If the trash can is full, empty it. Yeah. You know, I don't care <laughs> if you're the star of the show. Right. Sweep the stage. Yeah. You know, uh, be the last one out. Lock the door. Walk the ladies out to their car. Yeah. You know, be a servant. That's what I want. Yeah. Uh, and I try to live that out, you know? <laughs> it's like I want to be an example of that while I'm here too. Not just for show, but uh, it's an important part of what I believe is the right thing to do. Yeah. Whatever your job field is. Right. But mine is theater. We always close our solo interview shows with what we call a dramatic reading. Yes. Now, um, if you listen to Elisa, she took that... Uh, to New Heights by doing the dramatic reading yes. of John Cougar Mellencamp's Jack and Diane. That was, I, I was singing the song all day after listening to that. Oh, man, that was that was pretty creative. I got to hand it to her. She really, like, 
Now I, I, I've read I've read with my guests before. I read yeah. as a female on the Dr. Nancy Joe Humfeld. That was really good too. Show did a great job. Love that. that. <laughs> I, I loved um, me and Val Nelson getting to be in a few good men. The yes. I forgot the two characters now. Kathy and Jessup. Yes. Yeah. You know we we were both that in good. that, but we got to read different as roles. Kathy and Jessup sure. instead yeah. of. Uh, our our roles in that, yep. which was a lot of fun. So, mm-hmm. um, have you given any thought to your dramatic reading, Nick Ewan? Anything yeah. that comes to oh, mind? Oh man! Maybe well, you do? when when I was first being invited, I was like, "Gosh, what would I want to read? I could pick anything. I don't know." Uh, so I had a lot of things in mind, but I think the one to go with is going to be Harvey. Ooh. Uh, yeah. So Harvey was one of my earliest roles back in. Oh, man, I'm trying to put a year on. I, I want to say 2009. That, or 10. That's, yeah. 2009 that's, or 10. I'm, I'm um, thinking maybe nine. I, I should know because my daughter, Meredith, was right. in that show. She was Myrtle May. Yeah. And that was such a fun show. We did that at Dorothy McIntosh, Larry Mathis directed. And I auditioned for that show, and I actually did not want the part of Elwood. Yeah. Uh, now because is, I'm is not that, a leading man type of person. That's the lead role. That's the Jimmy Stewart. Yes, exactly. Arson. And that's exactly why I wouldn't want to do the role is because it's a Jimmy Stewart role. So I you know, it's hard because you don't want to you cannot be Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. And no matter what you do, people that come and watch the show, they're gonna compare you to Jimmy Stewart. Now, I know like Stephen Haynes had that issue with It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, he did such but a he great did job. So, um, he was so good. Uh, <laughs> but he's got much more personal. He's got more clout than I do. You know, people watching me is like, who's this guy? It's not Jimmy Stewart. I don't even care. Uh, but anyway, I love the play and I do love the character of Elwood, uh-huh. even though he's kind of a central character. Uh, so yeah, I've got a piece of Elwood. And the reason why I chose this part is because the last line of the section that I, that I think we could read today is one of my favorite lines in all of dramatic literature. Ooh. And so when we get there... We'll end on that line, and I marked it there on your okay. script. So okay, yeah. great. All right. So I assume I am reading. The if part you'll read Chumley, Chumley, Doctor Chumley. Dr. Now, what's Chumley. happening? So this just Chumley doesn't go. <laughs> you can do that if you want. <laughs> kind of like that's it. my Chumley from <laughs> what cartoon is Chumley? In? Anyway, Dick Dastardly or whatever. That's Chumley. Okay. okay. Well, you can do that all you want to, but I don't know. In this scene, Doctor Chumley has actually just seen Harvey. Oh, okay. So Chumley now believes in Harvey, and he wants to have a one-on-one conversation with Elwood. This is right at the end of the play. So I'm kind of psychoanalyzing Elwood. He's he's trying to psychoanalyze Elwood. You kind of get a sense of what he really wants. Mm -hmm. Chumley wants a break. (laughs) And what happens is Elwood winds up psychoanalyzing him. Oh, okay. uh, Which happens a lot in this play. Now, we don't rehearse. We're just going to read this Sure, just read it through. All right, here we go. And... um... We're on page 61 of the script, Harvey, if you have your scripts and want to follow along. Sure. Okay. Chumley begins. Here, Mr. Dowd, let me give you this chair. Let me give you a cigar. Is there anything else I can get you? Hmm. What did you have in mind? What kind of man are you? Where do you come from? Uh, Didn't I give you one of my cards? And where on the face of this tired old earth did you find a thing like him? Harvey the Puka? Is it true that he has a function that he... Gets advance notice. I'm happy to say it is. Harvey is versatile. Harvey can stop clocks. What? You heard that expression, his face could stop a clock? Yes, but why? To what purpose? Harvey says that he can look at your clock and stop it, and you can go away as long as you like, with whomever you like, and go as far as you like. And when you come back, not one minute will have ticked by. You mean that he actually... Einstein has overcome time and space. Harvey has overcome not only time and space, but any objections. And he, and does he do this for you? Oh, he is willing to at any time, but so far I've never been able to think of any place I'd rather be. I, I always have a wonderful time just where I am, whomever I'm with. I'm having a fine time right now with you, Doctor. 
Corona Corona. I know where I'd go. Where? I'd go to Akron. Akron? There's a cottage camp outside Akron in a grove of maple trees. Cool, green, beautiful. My favorite tree. I would go there with a pretty young woman. A strange woman. A quiet woman. Under a tree. I wouldn't even want to know her name. I would just be Mr. Brown. Why wouldn't you want to know her name? You might be acquainted with the same people. I would send out for cold beer. I would talk to her. I would tell her things I've never told anyone. Things that are locked in here. And then I would send out for more cold beer. No whiskey? <laughs> beer is better. Maybe under a tree, but she might like a highball. I wouldn't let her talk to me, but as I talked, I would want her to reach out a soft white hand and stroke my head and say, Oh, you poor thing. Oh, you poor, poor thing. How long would that go on? Two weeks. Wouldn't that get uh, monotonous? Just Akron, beer, and poor, poor thing. For two weeks? No. No, it would not. It would be wonderful. Well, I can't help but feel you're making a mistake in not allowing that woman to talk. If she gets around at all, she may have picked up some interesting little news items. And I'm sure you're making a mistake with all that beer and no whiskey. But it's your two weeks. <sighs> Cold beer at Akron. And one last fling. Oh, God, man. Uh, do you think you'd like to lie down for a while? No, no. Um, tell me, Mr. Dowd, could he... Would he do this for me? He could, and he might. I have never heard Harvey say a word against Akron. Uh, by the way, Doctor, where is Harvey? Why, don't you know? The last time I saw him, he was with you. Ah. Oh, he's probably waiting for me down at Charlie's. That's it. He's down at Charlie's. <laughs> Excuse me, Doctor. No, no, Mr. Dowd. Uh, not in there. Oh, I, I couldn't leave without saying good night to my friend, Dr. Sanderson. Mr. Dowd, Dr. Sanderson is not your friend. None of these people are your friends. I am your friend. Thank you, Doctor, and I'm yours. And this sister of yours, she's at the bottom of this conspiracy against you. She's trying to persuade me to lock you up. Today she had commitment papers drawn up. She's got your power of attorney and the key to your safety box. She brought you out here. My sister did all that in one afternoon? <laughs> Veda is certainly a whirlwind. God, man, haven't you any righteous indignation? Dr. Chumley, my mother used to say to me, In this world, Elwood, she always called me Elwood, she'd say, In this world, Elwood, you must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. <laughs> For years, I was smart. I recommend pleasant. You may quote me. And seen. And that is a great line. I'm, I'm <laughs> right? sure that's the line that you... That, that you is love. the line. What is it again? You must be oh so smart or oh so pleasant. For oh. years I was smart. I recommend pleasant. That we could all just go through life as an Elwood, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh man, <laughs> it sure would be. Uh, Nick Ewan has been my guest today on Waxing Lyrically. Go see Nick and a great cast, April 16th, opening night of Rumors. You're not going to want to miss this show. Oh, man, no. It's going to be great. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Paul. Well, I was wandering along the banks of the river where the seven fat cows came out of the Nile. Oh, yeah. Behind these fine, healthy animals came seven other cows that were skinny and vile. Oh, yeah. And then the thin cows ate the fat cows, which I thought would do good. Oh, yeah. But it didn't make them paddle like I thought a monster suffer should. Oh, no. Because the thin cows were as thin as they had ever, ever, ever been. 
Thanks for tuning in to Waxing Lyrically. If you enjoyed today's show, please take time to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And above all, please share it with a friend. This is your friendly announcer, Kurt Schneider, thanking you for your investment in live theater. Goodbye for now. I was standing doing nothing in a field out of town And when I saw seven beautiful ears of corn uh -huh. Oh yeah, oh they were right, they were golden But you guessed it right behind them There were seven other ears that were tattered and torn uh -huh. Oh yeah, and they on the back door ate the good corn And they came up from behind, yes they did about Joseph, here's the punchline It's really gonna blow your mind This is gonna flip your lid Because the battle was as bad as he had ever, ever, ever been Oh, this dream has got me all shook up between us Tell me what it means Well, I understood the bit about the corn But I'm not quite sure about the cows I was just wondering if you could give it to me one more time, Mr. Ferroman, please. Hey, yourself, won't you tell